Hey, it's Ian Altman. We're joined today by Erin Gargan King. Erin sold her first two companies before the age of 30. In 2010, she founded Socialite Agency, a social media firm whose clients include, you know, these obscure organizations like the Oscars, ABC Disney, Visa, Target, Siemens, Hitachi, and many others. She's the best-selling author of Digital Persuasion, Sell Smarter in the Modern Marketplace. Erin's expertise is in digital communication, where her firm helps sales, marketing, and event professionals attract attention and increase influence. We're going to discuss industry events and the mistakes many make in preparing or not preparing properly for those events. We'll get into the traps that keep companies stuck in the past instead of adopting modern technologies. And Aaron will offer insight as to why many companies fail when they try to engage on social media. You're going to learn a ton and have a great time with Aaron Gargan King. Aaron, welcome to the show. Thanks, Ian. So start by telling our audience something surprising about you that they may not know. Hmm. When I was growing up, in middle school into high school, I represented the United States in the World Irish Dancing Championships. <laughs> really? Yes. No kidding. I was a river dancer. <laughs> you know what? And if I knew that, because Aaron and I just saw each other at a conference, I totally would have had you break that out. <laughs> it's a very random fact. <laughs> oh man, I yeah, totally wish no. we had done this done this uh done this session before that conference so that well, I could maybe have, next year. Exactly. Well now <laughs> exactly now I have something really to look forward to. Um there so you, go. you know it's just it's so really so you represent the United States. That's that's a cool thing. Yeah, I'm a World Irish Dancing Championship uh champion. I was um I was about thirteen years old. And I uh, went over to Ireland and my grandfather, um, who had never traveled out of the United States, my grandparents are all immigrants from Ireland. Um, he went out of the country, um, back to Ireland and, uh, was there in the front row. And then he actually passed away shortly after. So it was a really special memory with him. Oh, and, um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. That's why I have, um, pretty large calves cause I was jumping around on my toes for the better part of my childhood. So <laughs> that's the story. <laughs> so, and how long did it take you to learn how to move your arms again? Cause I always noticed that <laughs> that type of dancing, they don't move their arms. Yeah. Well, so the reason for that is actually because in the old days, um, you may have heard there were a couple of problems between England and Ireland yeah, <laughs> and the, the English, uh, in order to exert more control over the Irish people, they tried to strip away their identity. So they took away things like their music, their language, uh, and their dance. And so dancing was forbidden. And so in order to keep the Irish dance tradition alive, people had to crowd into, uh, secret basements, uh, back, uh, rooms of churches, and it was supposed to be very quiet and underground, and so it was very crowded in there. And so they would take a door off a wall, put it down, and then everyone would pack in around them. And so they would dance on the doors to kind of keep the the tradition alive, but they weren't they didn't have room to raise their arms because everyone would pack into one secret place. So their arms had to be by their sides in order to complete the dance. Wow! And then and as mm -hmm. it, and as it expanded into bigger venues, no one realized that they could actually lift their arms. Yes. Is that well, yes. And then eventually Michael Flatley took over and then it became a lot more dramatic. Oh, so, sweet. Sweet. Yeah, we figured it out. Exactly. 
So, so though many people may believe that this is the reason I asked you on the show, um, it's actually your expertise when it comes to how people can be way more effective at live events and conferences with their businesses. And before we talk to talk about what people should be doing, what are the biggest mistakes or blind spots that you see that businesses have when it comes to live events? One of the biggest blind spots when it comes to businesses and live events is the 1990s mentality that the event begins the first day of the show. <laughs> so there's this little thing now called social media, which has essentially erased the beginning and the end of events. Most people are connecting with each other prior to an event, and they're continuing their relationships on social long after the event. And so teeing up a sales force to get ready for the sales process to begin on day one of the trade show is a huge missed opportunity. So, so for those businesses who don't necessarily plan in advance and aren't doing the things that I know you're going to suggest that people should be doing, what mm -hmm. happens? So now they, they invest in this booth. They spend, you know, mm -hmm. it might be $10,000. It might be a quarter of a million dollars on booth space. They haven't done any work in advance. What happens for them at these shows then? So they revert back to the ancient marketplace, the idea of the bazaar or, um, you know, medieval times where you'd walk around to the different booths and stalls and examining the wares. And so they, there's this psychology of, well, let's stand in front of our products and our equipment and serendipitously, the right attendees will just magically float by our booth and we'll introduce ourselves and strike up a shallow conversation, show them a demo. And now we have a lead in our, in our CRM to follow up with. And that's just – that's really an old-school way of thinking about it. Um, so what what I do with my clients, I work with Visa, Hitachi, Siemens, Target, um, ABC, Disney, all these different organizations to help train their sales teams to think about how can we get that buying conversation and that warm rapport building and starting earlier four, six weeks before the event. Wow, you actually have a reason to reach out to someone. Right. As salespeople, a lot of times we're reaching out with no real reason to reach out. Well, an event's a great excuse to, yeah. to connect with someone. Yeah, hey, I see you're gonna be at this event, so are we. Here mm -hmm. here's the type here's the type of reasons why people tend to reach out to us and now we've got a reason to actually speak at the event and schedule a meeting. Exactly. So it's not just, gee, if you happen to stumble across our booth. Like, well, right. there's a great reason. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, the whole thing is there's this thing, you know, with the Internet <laughs> where the internet. we are. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. The okay. Internet, the World Wide Web. <laughs> we're yeah. on the line <laughs> yeah, exactly. where where we are. We're self-educating ourselves as consumers. I don't care if you're B2B or B2C, uh, whether you're buying, you're buying anything over a thousand dollars. You're online. You're reading your ratings and reviews. You're watching YouTube videos. You're watching product demos. You're contacting friends who have similar solutions. You're doing your homework. And so when you're getting your game plan to go on site for those three or four days, you have your short list of people you want to connect with, products you want to see in person, and events you want to go to. And so the goal of the sales rep, the modern sales rep around these events is how do you get on that short list? How, what are you doing online to warm that opportunity up 
so that when they get on site, you've not expedited that sales process. You know, they're feeling out you, your personality, your vibe. You're having conversations around implementation, logistics, pricing, things you just can't do online. So if you're going to a trade show in 2018, and as a salesperson, you're going to offer an attendee something that they could have found themselves online, you really don't have the value that you could be having. So how can you offer something that they can't get on Google? That's really how you should think about your your time at these trade shows. Yeah, no, I love I love that. So what are some what are some of the things? Actually, before we even talk about what they should do, so so we present these ideas and say, look, we should engage with people on social media in advance, start these dialogues, schedule meetings in advance. What are some of the impediments that sometimes you might hear from a senior executive that says? Oh yeah, you know, that won't work for us. What are what are the what are the inhibitions that people have that prevent them from executing these types of plans? For some reason, because a lot of the senior executives of these legacy organizations have been in the business for 20, 30 years, um, particularly in really legacy organizations like healthcare, finance, um, not so much in technology as much, but some of the the companies where, for example, I work a lot with Hitachi, where their leadership um, team has been there for 20 years, you know, I just like anything else, you, you get stuck in your ways, you get comfortable. And if it worked last year, then if it's not broke, don't fix it. There's just this really hard um, mentality where they're just resistant to change because they don't maybe use it themselves. They don't use social themselves. They don't think about this kind of millennial um, generation, millennial mindset generation. Maybe if you're, you know, 40, 45, 50, you're not a millennial, but you're spending plenty of time on social and plenty of time on mobile. So you have that same psychology of, hey, I want a frictionless experience. I, I want to be prepared and not waste my time. So so a lot of times it's just it's just they're just comfortable in their ways. And so one way that um, I like to address that with them is, okay, for example, let's say you're going to the Radiological Society of North America conference in Chicago, and your 50-person global sales organization is on the trade show floor, and they're tasked with selling CT and MRI machines, which start at $1 million, and they're selling these $1 million CT and MRI machines to hospital administrators and radiologists who are very educated, very analytical, um, and very discriminatory about how they're spending their time at this event. So they're spending 10 grand on the carpet. They're flying the team out. They're spending a couple million bucks on this extravagant over-the-top sushi party at the Field Museum, the whole thing. I mean, all in, they're spending millions and millions of dollars. And then when they look to calculate the ROI of this investment, even in 2018, with so much data and trackability and software and tools and platforms, a lot of times they're still relying on the booth felt busy. We did X number of demos. Uh, we scanned X number of badges. But how does that map back to real revenue? And so the beauty, the beauty about social is, you know, we can track everything. So let's say, for example, you want to take your sales organization and you divide them up by territory. And you look at an exhibitor or an attendee list and you see where everyone's located. So each rep that has uh, a territory in the United States or beyond knows pretty much what types of people are coming to this show. Now, why can't they reach out to them and start a relationship, seed the experience with some interesting infographics, videos, maybe even a discussion on a Zoom video call and kind of begin the relationship. So when they get on site and they scan that badge, 
they now have that person as a socially sourced lead in their CRM. Now, post-show, when you're following up and you're writing contracts, you can trace that entire process from I reached out in advance of the show, I established rapport on-site in person and added a value they couldn't get online. Post-show, within four to six weeks, we went through all three, four, five decision makers, got the deal done, and now it's an opportunity one in Salesforce. That's how you can attribute more of a social ROI or even an event ROI when it comes to how you're spending money around these trade shows. So yes. that gets the old school guys leaning in and interested. They like they like knowing why did we spend five million dollars? Oh yeah, because we made fifteen. Yeah, <laughs> that gets them a little more excited to change. Yeah, <laughs> so. I, I, I look I look back to in in my prior businesses early on, and we would go we would go to an event, and coming out of the event, people would say to me, "So, gee, how'd you guys do?" And I said, "You know what? Our team did fantastic." We have 15 opportunities that I think are really high probabilities to close. And you get some other company like, ha, that's nothing. We collected 700 leads. And I'm thinking <laughs> to myself, you guys are idiots because yeah. you scan 700 badges and we only scan the badges of the people we actually cared about. So we had two different every, – every event would have two different – systems for collecting people's information. So one was these are highly qualified people with whom we want to do business. And right. these other people are people who, well, we're going to put them in a drip campaign, but they weren't really a good fit for today. And I think having <laughs> right. that level of differentiation is something where old school people think, well, I just want to drive numbers to the booth. It's like, actually, if you're going to the event and you're doing the example you gave with the radiology, uh, radiology um, people is – Look, if you're selling million-dollar devices, you need to have a couple of good successes at that event to have it pay for mm -hmm. itself. And, and so how do you drive those before they get there? That's exactly right. And how many free smoothies were given away to get those badges scanned? I'll take yeah. a free smoothie for a badge scan. Exactly. You know? <laughs> so. The rock star top performer you're looking for in your sales organization isn't looking for a job right now. In fact, they are totally content crushing it for somebody else. The folks at Peak Sales Recruiting have discovered an approach so that those rock star candidates will quickly discover that they're better off working for you than for somebody else. And if you've ever wondered, what are the right questions to ask to know if I'm getting a great candidate or just someone who's going to be okay? Well, they also have a sales interview guide available. You can learn more about Peak Sales Recruiting and get their free sales interview guide by visiting peaksalesrecruiting.com slash Ian. What are some of the ways that we can attract people? Because one of the things that I guarantee people do is they go, oh, yeah, great. Yeah, we should use social media. And then what they do is they spam the heck out of people or they hit them with what are just you know overt self-promotion. And actually, they mm -hmm. could use social media to drive people away than attract them to the booth. So what are some of the things that people should be doing to attract the right audience to their booth? Mm -hmm. So the reason that so many of us are such terrible communicators online, which, of course, we overestimate dramatically how persuasive we actually are online, right? Um, the reason that most of us um, are not as persuasive or influential as we could be when we're communicating behind screens, whether it's social, email, or text is because we have these empathy blockers in front of us. And there's actually a, a psychological 
uh, term to describe this behavioral phenomenon. It's called the online disinhibition effect. And it says that because we can't see uh, the person on the other side of the screen, we can't see them leaning in and smiling or leaning back and frowning. Um, we don't have to answer to them in real time. A lot of times it's, a, it's a, you know, an asynchronistic response where you send a post and there's a, a lag time between their, the time you sent it and the time they can respond to it. So all these different factors of the digital communication environment essentially empowers us to behave in ways that we'd never be courageous or bold or maybe rude enough <laughs> to behave in person. You know, some of the messages that we send on social media, we would never have the guts to say to someone's face in a trade show booth. You know, we'd never be at a, a networking event and just walk up to someone and give a 30 second, you know, show up and throw up elevator pitch to their face. But behind screens, we feel a little more emboldened to do so. So that's the, the baseline reason that most of our social media is not good. Now, the second thing to think about is the fact that most people um, in real life, we love talking about ourselves right? It just, it feels good. Like lights of areas of our brain light up talking about ourselves. Um, it's a lot more fun. Um, we just, it's, it's a, it's a, a known phenomenon, right? You look at the most classic books on digital persuasion, whether, or on persuasion, whether it's, you know, Dale Carnegie or Robert Cialdini, all those guys. And the best way to be persuasive is to focus on someone else, right? Well, on behind screens, we're on social media. We are completely focused on what we want to say. It's, it's, it's almost like we're showing up to our diary or our journal and just, Blech, right? All over <laughs> social media. And, and so I, I, I talk a lot about um, how if you can think about your social media as your camera, so on your phone. So you have, you have two modes on your camera. One mode, you open your camera and it's facing outwards. It's facing, like if I have my camera right now and I was talking to you, Ian, it'd be, it would have a, a very handsome photo of Ian Altman, right? Because it's facing out towards you. Well, unfortunately, you know, with selfie mode, you push that little recycle button on your phone and it flips around and now you can see yourself, right? Now you can take selfies. Now you can focus on yourself. And so social media has taken that narcissism and put it into overdrive. So what we found is that people like talk about themselves twice as much on social and online than they even do in person. So it's like putting fuel on this narcissistic fire. And that's why we're seeing all the social spam. So a great way to avoid that and to improve how you're thinking about your social is to flip the focus, is to look at your posts, look at your videos, look at your blog posts, um, look at your one-to-one -one outreach on LinkedIn and ask yourself, like, if this was a camera lens, am I looking at myself right now or am I looking at Ian or my recipient or my target. And so when you kind of think about that, um, there's different ways to change how you're, how you're creating social media, especially for events. For example, how many times you're using the word I in a LinkedIn message? Because if you delete yourself, you delete the word I and you flip it so that you're saying more you focused language, you'll be shocked at how much more persuasive and influential your message might be, you know? Yeah, so you, um, so you you could even have something where on social media or on LinkedIn, you might say, "Hey, I'm attending this and I'm reaching out to a lot of different vendors. What are you interested most in seeing? And let me see if I can connect you to those people, even if it isn't your business. But now you're starting a dialogue with people to find out what they're interested in, rather than what you want to talk about. Well, yeah, exactly. And you can even go a step further. Um, you know, 
because what you're trying to do is, with that example particularly, you're mimicking what you would do if you were sitting down with someone and they had agreed to talk to you. If someone agrees to talk to you, that you've now earned the right to say, tell me what you need, you know, a needs analysis, a discovery, classic 101 sales that we all learned 15 years ago, right? But now, because you have to win online first to get that face-to-face chance, whether it's at an event or on a video conference or in person, because you have to you have to break through the screen gatekeeper first to even earn that opportunity. Now we don't even get the chance to listen. You know, obviously the greatest salespeople in the world are phenomenal listeners, but we don't even get that chance at bat to listen because we can't get past that initial message which people ignore or that initial post which people scroll by. And so research really is the new listening. How much we spend time researching what people are sharing online is the new listening. So what's even more persuasive is, let's say like you're a sales rep and you have an event coming up, what's a lot more persuasive is to spend the time with your shortlist of 20 targeted prospects that you have researched, that you know have buying power, that you know are going to the event, that you know are in your space, that perhaps you have someone in common with. And now let's spend some time on Sales Navigator on Google, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, just going through and taking a quick five to 10 minute um, appropriate stalking, right? There's a level, right? So this is like, if there's like a red, yellow, green, this is green zone, publicly (laughs) available stalking, not red zone showing up at their house, right? (laughs) Appropriate stalking to find out what they're about. You know, what types of outlets do they follow? What types of people are they connected with? What have they posted about? Where have they visited? So you can get all this incredible information. Where have they worked in the past? And now you can come to the table with what I call the pub message. It's a personal, useful, brief message. Start with something personal. Because a lot of times we're looking at these incoming messages on our phones. And so if you look at your message on your phone, we're literally, our brains are looking at something in the form of a preview message, right? Because on your phone, you see just like about 10 words of what is this message about? And so our brains have rewired in about 2.5 seconds to say, do I know this person? No. This is 10 words. In 10 words or 2.5 seconds, is this someone that is trying to sell me something? Do I care? And the answer, more likely than not, is no. And so you only have that little preview to bring someone in. And so what I do is I start with something very personal. So it's P-U-B, personal. So something personal, just start with the name of the event because that will get their attention that you have in common. You know, RSNA, question mark, now they're going to stop their scroll at least and keep reading a little bit, maybe even open you up, right? From there, something useful. Um, it seems like you you attended RSNA last year and you're connected with Philips and GE. Um, here's something useful. We have a comparison analysis of this year's latest equipment, the pros and cons, a price comparison sheet, and what the, our top five customers across the board had to say about it. Might be useful as you're planning for your event. And that's the U. And then the B is brief. You know, can want to stop by our booth at 10 a.m. on Tuesday. Love to get to know you better and see if it could be a fit to talk about future opportunities. Right? Personal, useful, brief. So instead of just going in and being like, "Hey, I don't know you. You don't know me. Want to give me a shot?" The answer is no, because I don't know about you, Ian, but I get 20 to 30 of those a day Absolutely. in my inbox, and I don't even open them. Yeah, it's it's funny. My my latest thing now is someone will send me something. I say, "Yeah, I'm not interested, but I'm planning to use your your note as an example." 
And then I was like, oh, that's great. I'm like, yeah, I'm not using it as a positive example. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Well, it's funny. I've actually gotten a couple of clients. Um, There was a, I got a terrible message. I I get them all the time. I mean, I literally want to start just a blog, just publishing all these messages because you would not believe. I mean, well, maybe you would, how ridiculous they are. Um, But a great actually lead gen source for us as speakers on this topic is to look up the CEO of the organization where the rep is sending it from and screenshot two or three and send it to the CEO and say, do you know your team is sending these out? Do you know everyone's ignoring them? And are you interested in learning how to do it better? And they actually will bring me in and hire me with that approach. So it, it's kind of taking a negative and turning it to a that's, positive. That's funny. Thing. That's funny. We, we do a, we do a, um, I, I have a guest on Bob London and we cover what we call stupid marketing. And so we read off verbatim what people send. And just how bad it is, and then explain why it's bad. I mean, the 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 interesting thing that you point to is this whole idea of people. Uh, I love the I love this visual of is the camera is it in selfie mode or you're looking at the other person. I often find that what happens is that the reps suffer from a new version of ADD, but it's not mm-hmm. it's it's not attention deficit disorder. It's axis displacement disorder, where somehow they believe the axis <laughs> they believe the axis of the Earth has shifted, and now the world revolves around them. And it's like at a networking event, you wouldn't stand on the table and say, "Hey, check me out. Who wants to buy my stuff?" But somehow in social media, people think that it's okay to do that, and it's just it's awful. You're not building any relationships. You're not connecting with anybody. You're not building credibility. Instead, they're like, oh, that's the person we want to avoid. Right, right. And it's terrible because in the old days, like if you were being really annoying and you had access to disorder and you were cold calling people, you know, my first job at a college, I was a 100% commission sales rep and I sold TV ads in Baltimore City. It was like Anchorman meets the wire. It was hysterical. <laughs> I Anchorman worked for this like. Wire. I, it was wild. And so I drove around inner city Baltimore, like slinging TV commercials. If I didn't sell anything, I didn't get paid. It was the most incredible training for life I've ever had. But, but um, you know, I would call out of the phone book. You know, in those days, you would make 50 to 100 cold calls a day and get your appointments. And in those days, people would actually answer numbers they didn't know. And they'd actually meet with you and <laughs> actually sit through a PowerPoint before, you know, it's just like so old fashioned. But um, in those days, if you called someone three, four times, um, they wouldn't remember. Maybe you could call back on a better day and they wouldn't remember who you are. Now with LinkedIn, it's like what happens on social media stays on social media. They can see that you've messaged them three or four times and now they really hate you. Now you're definitely never getting through because they can see that you've been a pest. Um, and so, so it's tough because, you know, I get these messages all day long, which actually is what inspired me to write my book. I get 20 to 30 horrendous pitches on LinkedIn. It's all the time, copy, paste, copy, paste, all about me. And so I was inspired to write my book um, on a quest to essentially improve inboxes around the world is is, because I'm mentally rewriting these messages every time I get them. Um, For example, I just got a message yesterday and this person wrote and said, hi, it's, you know, it's the classic why I rock email. I rock, here's my products, here's who thinks I rock, you know, interested in, in meeting with me for half an hour so I can tell you more about why I rock. Obviously the answer is no, I didn't even read your message. I got 30 of you. I didn't get past the preview, right? That's the reality. And so yep. I feel bad for these people because they're spending all their time on this outreach and no one's opening it for the most part. No one's reading it. I don't know you. You didn't look me up. And it's mind boggling because I, 
I'm looking at this message and I'm thinking to myself, if you had taken five minutes, my entire life is on social media, my clients, my events, what I care about. I actually threw out a post the other day looking for a new app developer for this app idea that I have. I mean, you could have looked through everything that I've uploaded and come back and just said something like, Oh, you're going to this event. Oh, I saw you like this article. That must be interesting to you. Oh, I saw you follow this outlet. You're connected to this person. Oh, I saw you have a need for this app developer. I actually know a friend. There's so much information, all these golden nuggets that in the old days we'd have to listen for and pry for and and get those diamonds out of the hard rock with sweat and blood and tears and guts. Now it's all presented to us on a silver platter. All we have to do is go find it. And that's why I say research is the new listening. Go find it and then come back to me with two, three sentences that just show that you took the time to make me a person, not a number. That's all you have to do. And then someone leans in and that reciprocity kicks in and we think, wow, that was nice. They took five minutes to look me up. I'll actually read their message, maybe even respond, maybe even check them out, maybe even give them a 15-minute video call. Yeah, and, and you know what? And it's it, it's so true as you say this. I, I had I had a LinkedIn message from somebody, I think it was yesterday, who said, well, have you ever considered writing a book? <laughs> it's like, <laughs> yeah, well, you mean, aside from the two best-selling books I've already written, like another one? Yeah, I actually am working on another one. But it was, it was funny that like – Dude, all you have to do is look at my profile, and it says best-selling author in the profile. So it just tells me that all you've done is, you know, there's there's an old saying that says, if you want to take something good and ruin it, give it to marketing. And so it's like <laughs> someone in marketing says, oh, wait, we can automate all this. And it's like, yeah. look, just take that little bit of time to do a little bit of research up front, mm-hmm. and your message can hit somebody dead on as opposed to mm-hmm. – Man, it's just like, you know, people feel like you're shooting at them as opposed yeah. to, wow, you know, they have something that's relevant for me. And I love that message of of of, of pub, of personal, useful, and brief. Um, mm-hmm. It's really concise for people to understand. Mm-hmm. Well, it's funny you brought up automation, Ian, um, you know, because there is, you know, if you're a podcast junkie like I am, which I'm sure you are since you have your own, um, you know, every time you turn around, the next podcast episode is robots are coming for all of our jobs. You know, by 2020, Forrester Research says all salespeople will be dead, right? There's all these doom and gloom predictions every time you turn around. And while I think it's a little overhyped for most industries, there is some validity when you think about this automation, because if, if I'm getting copied and pasted messages, which mine is not always about the book. Mine usually says, hi, Eric, which <laughs> they think it says CEO. They think I'm a dude. So, um, you know, and then I'm thinking, well, maybe it's like a typo. And then later, thanks, Eric, at the end, just to make sure they definitely have no idea who I am. Um, but so um, with the automation, you look at this and you think, okay, so if you're copying and pasting, you're, and a lot of times they'll hire someone, you know, they'll outsource it to someone in the Philippines or Thailand to outsource, you know, reach out to 100 people a day with this message and just change their name, if you can even get it right. And the reality is, you know, AI and and robots are doing brain surgery. I mean, Facebook created two robots that started uh, eventually inventing their own language that the programmers couldn't even understand. They had to close them down. Like artificial intelligence, I'm pretty sure if they can do brain surgery and drive cars, they can probably copy and paste a message. And so what is your value? Well, your value is the human experience. Your value is what you can't automate. Like going back to our conversation about events. You know, people don't go to an event 
to sit there and get blasted with a demo and facts and all these things they can get online. They come to an event to feel the vibe of a person. Do I trust this person? Do I like this person? Are they going to leave me high and dry when I sign this, this purchase order? Or are they going to be with me through the end when I have problems? You know, do I like this company? Do I like the vibe here? Is everyone stressed out and dog eat dog? Or is it a, a company that has a, a higher purpose, a social good, a moral conscience? I mean, they go to these events to, to get that face-to-face human connection that you can't get online. They don't go there to just be shouted at a bunch of facts and figures and stats they can see on YouTube and they can see on your website, you know? And so that's the differentiator. I think that we have to think about as salespeople when we're looking at how we're using social and events because they intersect so beautifully. And it's such a great reason to start a new opportunity. Absolutely. So Aaron, what's the best way for people to learn more about what you're doing to connect with you? Because right now people are saying, man, she's got a lot of great information. I want to get more of it. Sure. They can visit my website. It is eringanganking.com. E-R-I-N-G-A-R-G-A-N-King, K-I-N-G.com. And we will, of course, have all that information in the show notes. And I would encourage you to reach out to Erin on social media. She is incredibly present online and only more impressive in person. Thanks, Ian. You rock. Thanks for having me. This is a lot of fun. No, thanks. Thanks for sharing all of your wisdom. And like I said, we'll include everything in the show notes. If you ever have a chance to see Erin speak in person, treat yourself to it. She's fantastic. Let me give you a quick 30-second recap of the key items you can use and apply from this episode. First, don't revert to old methods. Shift to modern marketing where you can track everything. Instead of shouting or pitching to your market, use social media to listen to their conversations. Then you can share information using the pub formula, sharing information that is personal, useful, and brief. I appreciate you for taking the time to share your reviews if you feel we've earned one on iTunes. It really helps for others to find this podcast. If there's a topic you'd like for me to cover or a guest we should have on the show, drop me a note to ian at ianaltman.com. Have an amazing week, add value, and grow revenue in a way everyone can embrace, especially your customer.